Now, before we move into our teaching time, or as we move into our teaching time, I want to remind you that we're in our series in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in John chapter 7 today. And so as we transition toward that, you guys can be opening your Bibles, opening your apps up to John chapter 7. And then uh, as you do that, my sister Caitlin is going to come, and she's going to read the primary passage for us. This is the word of God from John seven thirty-seven through 52. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, This really is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. The officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees, who said to them, Why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one, no one ever spoke like this man. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, who had gone to him before and who was one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Amen. Thanks, Caitlin. Good morning, church family. How are we doing? It's good to see you. Uh, If you're new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. It's our joy and our privilege to welcome you here on this Resurrection Sunday. And you know, Easter Sunday is a time where a lot of churches kind of pull out all the stops and they, you know, do things special, do things different. I'm wearing pink pants, for example, and, uh, uh, but you know, I said, hey, like, we, we want to do things special, we want to welcome people in, let's make it special, but let's not make it so special that it doesn't look like a normal church service, and so for us, we said, hey, we want to have, you know, we want to have singing, we want to have communion, and we want to be just still in the Gospel of John that we've been studying as a church, because we really like to go through books of the Bible, just kind of line by line, verse by verse. I said, but could we do one really special thing for Easter? Can we please have a huge pit right in the middle of the floor where I usually stand and preach and, and our staff team and everyone's like, yes, absolutely. And uh, Linwood High School has been doing a production here. So you'll notice there's a little bit of a hole there. I actually had said, maybe we could just fill it up with water and do some baptisms in there later, but school district didn't think that, school district didn't think that was a good idea or whatever. So, hey, we're really glad to have you. We're in John chapter seven. We're talking about Jesus today. And him offering us rivers of living water. And so I wonder if you would uh, just pray with me before we uh, dive too far in, before we get started. So let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can open the word and we can see, Lord Jesus, who you are and what you said about yourself and what you came to do. God, I thank you that um, we can gather like this and we can uh, open up the scriptures and we can sing and we can, we can do so with, with great confidence knowing that Jesus is alive knowing that we don't serve a dead religious founder, but we serve a risen Savior. And I ask and I pray, God, for all of us, you'd help us to have 
soft hearts, hearts, teachable hearts today, Lord God. And, and for myself, I pray that you would guard my lips and help me to only teach that which is in line with the truth of your word. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. And everyone said, amen. You know, this, this idea of water, it keeps coming up in the gospel of John. And water's pretty important, wouldn't you agree? Uh, water is, is one of the absolutely essential fundamental building blocks for life. In fact, I was watching a documentary recently, surprise, and uh, there, it was a search for extraterrestrial life. And they're looking for planets that might be inhabitable by aliens, little green men. I don't know why they have to be green and why they have to be men. We've all types of aliens here. But they're looking for aliens and they're trying to find a planet or a world that might be suitable or hospitable. And basically what it really boils down to is using their most powerful telescopes, using their most powerful methods to just try to find any planet that has water on it. They're so excited when they find water on a planet. And, and as of yet, they haven't found any that they can confidently say with certainty has water, but they're looking. There's some that they think might have it. Water is important on the grandest scale. Water is important on the smaller scale. You might hear in my voice, I've got a little bit of a, I've been, I've been fighting a cold the last couple of weeks. I'm, I'm better. The doctor said I'm better. I was like, well, doctor, I don't sound better. He's like, well, I've run the test. I've looked at you and you're, you're better. I was like, but I sound like it. I don't sound better. And I said, I want to sound better. Because I have this thing that I do on Sundays where I talk for like hours at a time. Not this service, just normally, right? But I'm, I, I talk and I use my voice and, I, and he's like, well, you got a couple things. He's like, you got to just take it easy. I'm like, well, you don't know me very well then. And he said, you got to not talk. I'm like, you're really digging a, a hole here, buddy. And he says, you got to drink lots of water. Yeah, not coffee. I wish he'd said coffee. No. Lots and lots of water. Water is so incredibly important. And when Jesus uses this metaphor, he's getting at something that's just really at the deepest level of who we are. He's, he's not speaking specifically of just water, natural, physical water. He's talking about our souls, our hearts, that we have these thirsts, we have these desires. And what we're going to see today in this passage is, is that these desires we have, these thirsts that we have, are, they find their deepest satisfaction in Jesus. And not just, not just in Jesus, but specifically in his death and his resurrection. So that's what we're going to see today. That's the big idea of where we're going today. And so if you got your Bibles, follow along with me. We're picking up in, in verse 37. Now, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out. The word there in the Greek, uh, that the language of the New Testament that was originally written, it's very emphatic. It's with a loud voice. So imagine something not like what I sound like right now. He cried out with a loud voice and said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Now there's a lot going on in, in just this one line. There's a lot going on in just this on the last day of the feast. Now, for those of you who've been regularly with us going through the gospel of John, which feast are we talking about here? Feast of tents, the feast of booths, right? It, my, Reagan, are you going to answer all the questions today? I swear I didn't prime my eight-year-old daughter for the, the sermon today. It's called the feast of booths or the feast of tabernacles or in, in, in Hebrew, it's Sukkot. And this is an annual tradition that goes all the way back to the earliest pages of the Old Testament and still is going on today. It's a thousands and thousands of year old celebration. I actually texted my friend, Rabbi Matt, and because he was in Jerusalem this last fall 
for Sukkot. And you can see, so this is modern day Jerusalem. They build these temporary structures for a week and they set up shop in them and they live in them and they sleep in them and they, they eat in them. You get the, the next picture here. You can see this kind of a big, uh, a big one right down the middle. We go, go to the next photo if you will. Yeah, right, right in the middle of everything. Right in the middle of Jerusalem, you can kind of see in the background there, the Dome of the Rock, and, and they're all set up there. It's actually funny, I was texting with Matt, he goes, hey, can I send you the picture of the Sukkot that Pizza Hut set up to serve pizza out of? I was like, yes, I will absolutely show that. I mean, look in the lower left corner, this little temporary structure that Pizza Hut set up. America, come on. And for crying out loud, Rabbi Matt's from New York. He ought to know good pizza and not go to Pizza Hut. But anyways, this, this tradition of setting up a temporary structure and staying in it for a week goes all the way back to the, the like I said, the oldest pages of the, of the Old Testament where the people of God were slaves in Egypt and God did this miraculous thing and he freed them from, from Egypt and they, they came out and they crossed through the Red Sea. But then you know what happened? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, living in tents. And in the middle, there was the big tent. That's called the tabernacle. And they would all gather and they would worship God together. I've, I've been joking ever since we've been meeting here in Linwood High School that the people of Israel, they were a set up, take down church just like we are. They didn't have a, a home base. They didn't have a building. And so what this, this festival is, it's a week long time to remember that even when we lived in tents in the desert, God still took care of us. And so they would look back. They would look back on their history. There's a verse like in, like in Nehemiah that talks about, you know, God didn't abandon us in the wilderness. He gave us bread to eat and he gave us water to drink. And they wouldn't just look back, though. they would look forward. They would look ahead to the day when the Messiah would show up. And, it, and, and when the Messiah shows up, they talk about things like, on that day, you're going to drink joyfully from water and wells of salvation. And so there's this celebration going on. It's still going on to this day, centuries and centuries old, but it was going on during the time of Jesus. And so imagine, if you will, Jesus is here. He's gone to the feast. People are looking for the Messiah. They're always looking for the Messiah. When these feasts would come, the Messiah is supposed to show up. Is this going to be the time when we're going to get to see who the Messiah is? And so Jesus had been kind of quiet. And you know, there was this tradition that had grown over the years on the last day of the feast. This was so fascinating for me to learn. On the last day of the feast, one of the priests would go down to the bottom of the hill and he would take a big chalice, a big cup, and he would scoop up water from one of the pools down there. And they would lead this procession and everybody would walk up the hill and they would go into the temple and they would go right in front of the altar and they would take this water and they would pour out a cup of water in front of the altar as a way of saying, this water is given to us by God. He's the one that provides water for us. If you want to think of the Feast of Booths, it's kind of like Thanksgiving, you know, where you celebrate the provision that you have mixed with, you know, Easter and all the religious symbolism mixed with like the last camping trip of the year. And all of this culminated with this big water pouring ceremony. And it's amazing. They're pouring out the water, the last day of the festival. And it's at that exact moment that Jesus stands up and goes, Hey, you thirsty? I'm gonna let you guys finish in a minute, but I want to, I want to point attention to me. Some of you chuckled. You got my subtle Kanye West reference in there, right? 
But just think about, man, that was audacious, right? When Kanye did that to, what's, what's her name? Uh, Taylor Swift. Yeah, you guys knew that, right? <laughs> uh, that was bold. That was audacious. Imagine that there was a tradition and a ceremony that went back century after century after century. And the priest is doing this thing and he's pouring out the water and God, you provide water for us. And Jesus stands up and goes, hey, everybody, this whole water thing, this whole festival you got going on, guess who it's about? Me. It starts to help make sense in the Bible of why people were so mad at Jesus so often. That is gutsy. That is audacious. When he stands up and says, if anybody wants to drink, you, you come to me. Many of the people I imagine would have had words like, like from Isaiah 55, one of, the, one of the prophets of the Old Testament where it says, if, if anyone is thirsty, come to the water. Even you people, you don't have silver. Doesn't matter. Come, buy, eat. Come buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. It's free. The grace of God is free. You're not going to purchase it. And he says this, he says, why do you spend silver on what is not food and your wages on what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and you will enjoy the choicest of foods. Pay attention, come to me, listen so that you will live. Anybody here ever been really thirsty? You ever been really thirsty? Yesterday, uh, we had some glorious sunshine for like 12 beautiful minutes, right? And actually, during those few minutes of sunshine, my daughter, my youngest daughter, the one who's rolling around on the floor here, Hadley, you had your first t-ball practice yesterday, right? Yeah, it was pretty fun. And there's all these kids, and you know what they're doing? Rolling around in the dirt. And there's dirt kicked up everywhere, and it's sunny finally, and all of us, you know, Seattleites were freaking out. What do we do? And I was so glad that I had my water bottle with me. That's a minor little moment of thirst. You ever been really thirsty? You ever been dehydrated? Any of you have ever been medically dehydrated, you know that's a serious condition. You know what's interesting about us Americans? Uh, we have pretty chronic dehydration. Science has proven that we as Americans exist, uh, even though we have water and, and beverages aplenty, many of us exist in a mild state of dehydration. A lot of it's due to soda pop. And so I'm not here to shame you. But I am here to tell you that when you're really, really thirsty and then you drink that soda pop, science tells us it does, not only does it not quench your thirst, it actually does the opposite, right? It leaves you more unhealthy. It leaves you more thirsty. And, and, and yet we, we do it. We do it. Hot day, ice cold, you know, whatever your beverage of choice. I'm Coca-Cola man myself. It's just not good for us. What the prophet Isaiah is saying here is like, look, you're thirsty, you're hungry, but you're not eating and drinking things that are good for you. He's saying at the spiritual level, your soul is hungry, your soul is thirsty, but we are prone to go to places for satisfaction that don't in the end ultimately satisfy us. And that's why Jesus is saying, hey, I'm inviting you to come to me. I want you to come and drink your fill from me. I love you. I've got grace for you. I satisfy you. That's what Jesus is saying when he stands up in front of everybody. Yeah, this whole water pouring out thing. Come to me. Come find your satisfaction in me. Whoever believes in me, Jesus says, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. What does it mean to drink of Jesus? It means to believe in him. It means to believe that he is who he said he is. 
And he came to do what he said he came to do. He said he was the son of God. He said he comes from heaven. He says, before Abraham existed, I am. And he said, I've come to lay my life down, to, to give my life as a ransom for many and to, to rise up again, to give you salvation. This springs of living water is the analogy of, of being connected to life. See, in the gospel of John, the way he, he, he speaks often as he writes this about Jesus' life is that we've been disconnected from the source of life. We've been cut off. We, we need life. We need to be plugged into something that gives us the power to live, but we've been, we've been disconnected. And this, this phrase, living water, it's so amazing. Living water. You ever been maybe hiking or camping or out in nature somewhere and you come across a puddle and there's no water going, even a pond, no water going in, no water going out. It's just stagnant. And can you smell the funk that's on top of it? And can you, the, the algae and the gunk, right? Like, are, are you going to drink that water? I, I, I sincerely hope not. That is not living water. The, the, the Bible, you know, Jesus uses this language of living water. It's water that has a, a source and it has water that's going somewhere. It's moving, it's flowing, it's clean, it's healthy, it's clear. That's what Jesus is offering us to reconnect us to the source of living water. Even if you were so thirsty and you were tempted to drink from that swamp and that puddle, man, that's gonna maybe leave you sicker in the end. Jesus said, I got clean, fresh, clear water. Your soul needs it. Come to me and drink. And then John, the author, it's a little parentheses. Now, he said, that, he said this, guys, about the Holy Spirit. And, and those people who believed in him, they, were, they, were, they hadn't yet received the Holy Spirit. The, the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. End of parentheses. The word glorified is, is pretty amazing. Glorified is like this jam-packed word that means a whole lot of stuff about Jesus. There's this really smart guy named Andreas Kostenberger, and he writes more books about the Gospel of John than I've actually read the Gospel of John. Like he just keeps writing more books about it. He says that this glorified language is kind of like John's shorthand for this entire cluster encompassing Jesus. Crucifixion, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Something happened to Jesus where then all of a sudden everything made sense. When we talk about Jesus, we have to talk about his death. Jesus, we, we just celebrated Good Friday a few days ago. We were able to celebrate with a couple of other churches, friends of ours in the area. And, and uh, we all looked at the fact that Jesus' death was necessary. Jesus' death was necessary to pay a price for, for our sins. But there's another way to look at Jesus' death that, that occurred to me as I was studying this passage. That Jesus' death was him going into the darkness, him going into death itself to reconnect us back into life with God. I have a, my, my kitchen. Those of you who've been around, you've heard me talk about this remodel project that I've been doing, and it's pretty much done, I think. I don't know. I've stopped paying attention. But the, the whole kitchen remodel project started because the hose that goes to our freezer to make ice cubes sprang a leak. And the guy who helped me install it was here at the nine o'clock service. And I called him out for it, okay? He was very gracious. He wanted to make sure that, that I remember that I was the one that ran the hose. He just fed it to me. So it was mostly my fault. But 
this hose broke and it sprang a leak and water got everywhere and it damaged our floors and I was very grouchy and then we were like, okay, well, let's tear this up and let's start kind of remodeling and fixing things. And then like symbolically, victoriously, I saved the very last thing of running a new freezer hose. It's like a half inch thick braided steel. Like I went hardcore with this one, right? The very last thing we're going to do is we're going to rehook back up this hose so that the fridge can be connected to the source of water. There is just one problem. You have to go into the crawl space to hook the hose back up. How many of you love spending time in a crawl space? And I was sitting there and I was talking about it. Like, I don't want to go in the crawl space. Where's Jordan? I need him to come back over to go in the crawl space again. And I was talking about it. And my eight-year-old daughter, Reagan, right there. Yeah, she's waving. Yeah. She's like, dad, I'll go into the crawl space. I was like, no, there's probably like, you know, bugs or spiders or rodents of unusual size or whatever. Like you, you probably don't want to go down in there. She's like, no, dad, I can do it. I was like, God love you. Like take a flashlight or something. (laughs) And my brave, precious eight-year-old daughter went into the belly of the beast in the darkness, fished me up the new freezer hose, and all was well in the gray household. That's a, I know, right? (laughs) That's kind of a dumb analogy, as most of my analogies are. But here's the point. The serious point is that Jesus went into death itself to redeem us from death. He was not afraid. It says that he had joy set before him. He went to the cross. He endured the darkness. He endured the wrath of God on our behalf so that we could be reconnected to the source of life. And on the third day, when Jesus rose from the dead, it proved that atonement had happened, not just an execution. It proved that Jesus sacrifice was accepted by God and we can be reconnected to the source of life. If Jesus entered into death and rose again, well, then he's got the connection to life. And if we connect up to him, then we too can have connection to life. That's what this is saying. Jesus stands up, says, come to me and drink. People didn't quite understand it yet because he hadn't been glorified. But when the resurrection happened, now all of a sudden we have to reevaluate everything about Jesus. Now, controversy breaks out. So let's dive into these verses quickly here. Verse 40, when the people heard these words, some of the people said, well, this really is the prophet. This is a teacher who's going to come and help us. Well, other people said, no, this is the Christ. That's the Messiah, the promised one. But some said, well, the Christ can't come from Galilee. Like, that's up north. That's, that's where hillbillies live, right? It's like the way some people talk about Mount Vernon or something, right? Like, just, if you came from Mount Vernon, I'm very sorry, okay? I love you. I'm not saying that. These people said. They're the judgmental ones, okay? Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ is supposed to come from David, King David, his offspring, and be born in Bethlehem? Apparently they didn't attend our Christmas Eve services. They would have known that Jesus was in fact born in Bethlehem. And so there was division among the people over him. Here's the deal. They are arguing about something that in their culture meant a lot to them. This Christ, this Jesus, he can't be the Christ. He can't be the Messiah. He doesn't come from the right city. He doesn't come from the right background. Now listen, 
We argue different things about Jesus because our culture is different. But the point is that 2,000 years later, people are still arguing and divided over Jesus because his claims were very controversial. Sometimes I hear leaders in the church or, or pastors or authors say things that, that in essence are like, if we could just show people who Jesus is, everyone would love him and everyone would accept him. It's like, no, sometimes the people that see, saw Jesus firsthand still argued over him, still divided over him, still didn't get him. I know we would like to have a Jesus that is just so comfortable that nobody ever is frustrated by him, but that's just not the Jesus of the Bible. And so I'm not trying to make Jesus be controversial. He is, by the very nature of his claims, controversial. It was true during his earthly life and ministry. It's true today during the ministry of the church. And yes, there are some times where we make Jesus more controversial than he needs to be, and we get things wrong all the time. That's why the church is not some sort of perfect people's club that you come and join up with, but, but sinners in need of a perfect savior— But the fact of the matter still remains that Jesus causes division. Jesus leads us to have to make a choice. Who is he? Who is he? Is he just a prophet? Is he just some good teacher? Or is he the Messiah, the son of God? Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Well, then the officers showed up and the chief priests and the Pharisees, these are the really important people. And they said, why did you not bring him? We sent you to arrest him. You got new shiny handcuffs and a warrant. Go arrest him. Why didn't you bring him? The officer said, I love this. No one ever spoke like this man. This isn't just some rabbi out there teaching. This isn't just some good teacher, some guy who's going to go down in history as someone with some good ideas. This guy speaks with authority. These are the people with authority. Yet Jesus has authority. He doesn't just say, oh, here's what the Bible says. He's saying, in essence, here's what what I meant when I wrote the Bible. The Pharisees answered, have you also been deceived? What is wrong with you? Have any of the other authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? Like, tell us, who, who's buying into this Jesus nonsense? And this crowd, they don't even know the law. They're accursed. They're a bunch of cursed fools for buying into this Jesus nonsense. Friends, some of you for trusting in Jesus have felt heat from people. Oh, did you check your brains at the door? What, are you part of just the crowd? You're, you're an idiot for believing in this stuff. Sometimes when I, whenever I sit and talk with people, and sometimes I just like, yeah, I really genuinely believe that they murdered Jesus publicly, buried him in the ground, and on the third day he came back from the dead. And I know that sounds crazy. Because last I checked, that just doesn't happen all the time like once every humanity's existence or so, right? It's like, I get it. This is an uncommon thing to say. Something happened that turned the disciples, these cowardly, fearful disciples into bold, brave, courageous witnesses. Something happened that changed the course of history. Christians have been saying for 2,000 years, Jesus rose from the dead. Now, Nicodemus, you guys remember Nicodemus? Those of you who've been around for a while, good old Nicodemus is back. I like, this is a, this is a, Nicodemus got picked on the last time he showed up, right? Remember, he was like, what do you mean be born again? Do I have to climb back in my mom's tummy and get born again? And we're like, wow, you're like a teacher of the law, really? 
He kind of like, like John intentionally writes, he kind of teasing Nicodemus. He has a good moment here. Nicodemus, who had gone before, was one of them. He's one of the religious leaders. He said to the rest of the guys, hold on a second, everybody. Listen, in our law, we don't, we don't judge a person without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does. And they replied, what, are you from Galilee too? You got to search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Okay. Get, just, I want you to try to imagine for me a world in which people jump to conclusions and express opinions before they've thought through things, okay? Like, I know it's crazy sounding, just go with me. In this story, people were arguing before they had all the facts. It's weird, okay? Still happens today. Nicodemus is saying, hold on a second. I think we ought to really give Jesus a fair shake, Let's hear what he has to say. Let's see what it is that he actually does. And these people run back with these leaders say, no prophet comes from Galilee. Well, here's the problem. They were wrong. There was a prophet that came from Galilee. His name was Jonah. The one that went into the belly of the fish and came out on the third day. And oh man, there's a whole nother sermon there. I'm not going to preach it now, but I, I could. Like they, they were just wrong. They didn't have all the information. They didn't have all the facts. They were saying, oh, no prophet ever comes from Galilee. Well, actually, yeah, one did. One who figuratively died and rose again. And here comes this Jesus. And Nicodemus is saying, have you really listened? Have you really heard what Jesus has to say? Have you really checked for yourself? Friends, I had a conversation oh, maybe two months ago with someone who's not a believer in Jesus and, and wanted to meet, actually, um, <laughs> I'll use the word hostile, and that's fair. I want to talk to somebody. I want to talk about this Jesus stuff and sat down and said, why is this true about Jesus? And why is this true about the Bible? And why did Jesus say this? And why did Christians say this? And, and I sat there and after a little while, I interrupted and said, hey, can I just interrupt you for a second? Because I don't believe about 80% of those things that you're saying. And like, I don't have the Bible memorized, but I've read it a few times and that's not in the Bible. And that's not what Christians teach. And he just kind of stopped and was like, well, yeah, but, and then just kind of went back in again. Now, I'm not trying to pick on this individual, but it was such a clear, obvious thing to me. Like, you're, you're arguing against something that's not, that's not the real Jesus. You haven't really given him a fair shake. You haven't really heard what he had to say. You haven't really looked at him. You've looked at maybe some bad things that Christians have done, which Christians, please stop, okay? Like, I'm, I'm I already said it, we're, we're we're a hopeless mess, amen? That's why we need God's grace. But let's try to not make it worse if at all possible. But just the reality is some people have not really honestly looked at Jesus, who he is, what he said about himself, what he said that he came to do. Some of you here today, I don't know everybody in this room, some of you here today, you have, you have divided over Jesus, but you've never really given him a fair hearing. You've never really read the, the firsthand accounts from those who are closest to him. You've never really taken time to understand what Christian doctrine is and why it's built the way that it is and why, why we believe this or why we believe that or why we teach this or teach that. Some of you are, are like these leaders who have just rejected Jesus without truly understanding. And I would say to you, the message of the gospel is so, it's so deep St. Augustine said it, you know, 1,700 years ago, it's so deep, you know, that an elephant can swim in it, but it's so, sh it's so accessible, so shallow that a child can jump right in. 
The gospel of Jesus is, is, is it's unsearchable. I'm going to spend all of eternity just looking at the beauty of how good the gospel is, but it's also so simple. God loves you. You've been disconnected from the source of life. Christ died and rose again that whoever believes in him, whoever drinks of him, has eternal life. This symbolism of water, it's just amazing that God, I mean, we talk about spiritual things, but then God keeps pushing us back to these like physical, tangible symbols and signs as we express our faith. One of the symbols, one of the signs we're going to celebrate in a little while is, is communion, the Lord's table. And we have bread and we have wine, we have grape juice, but it's, it's a symbol of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, that he died on a cross for us. And God says, hey, when you gather together, I want you to get like bread, like, like oh, spiritual bread. Like, no, like real actual bread. I want you to get real actual wine and I want you to eat and I want you to drink and I want you to think about my death and my resurrection. You know what's interesting? This is, we've been talking about water. Did you know during that ceremony, they also poured out a cup of wine? They poured out a cup of water. They poured out a cup of wine. It says when Jesus was crucified from his side, blood and water flowed. And it's that where we find our life. You know what wine is? Wine is a symbol of joy and abundance. Water, water's like you're not going to die. But wine is like, like, I've never made wine, but from what I understand, you, like it takes time. You don't just like, I'm going to make wine. And then like 20 minutes later, done. Like it takes time. Wine, you have to have um, grapes and you have to squash them and you have to let them sit. And then at the end, it's like, man, the Bible says wine is given to make the hearts of someone you know, joyful. And it's, you have more than enough. Did you know that Jesus came to not just offer you the bare minimum existence of getting by? He came to give you life to the full, abundant, joyful life. And this other symbol we have of, in the Christian faith, this, this really practical symbol, it has all to do with water. We dunk people in water. And then, yes, we bring them back up out of the water. And we, we say that this is a picture of, of being buried with Christ and then rising with Christ. And the water is this picture, the symbol of life. Now, we can't do baptisms here in the high school because of district rules. We did some in the, the Puget Sound this last fall. That water was cold. That's how you know those people love Jesus, right? These lucky people got to do it in a hot tub a few weeks ago, right? They got to go to the second level of heaven. They're not getting, I'm just kidding. It's the, the, the specific methodology is far less important. What's important is I, I identify with Jesus. I go into the water. I come up out of the water to say, I've died with Christ. I've been raised with Christ. I'm drinking of the water of life. Friends, I want to invite you today. We don't, we don't have the opportunity right now, right here in this space, as much as it would have delighted me to fill this orchestra pit with water and baptize you here and now. We can't. <laughs> but if you've not been baptized, please don't leave today without saying, I need to be baptized in obedience to Jesus, in identification with Jesus, that he gives me water, the water of life. If you want to get baptized you can, there's a form you can fill out online. Just to, it's a simple, just let us know. Even better, just come find me or come find one of the other pastors or staff members and say, I need to be baptized. I want to identify with Jesus. I want to identify with his life and death and resurrection. We're going we're gonna to respond here in a minute in a few ways. But before we do anything else, I want to respond and I want to pray. 
And if you're someone who's here today and you're, you're wrestling with this, maybe, maybe you've never really given Jesus a fair hearing, a fair shake. You, you've, you've judged Jesus on the basis of someone else who is not a perfect person. Only perfect person is Jesus. Everyone else is going to represent him in some ways unfairly. Don't let that hang you up. Go to Jesus. Go to him directly. I'd like to invite you, if, you if, you're, if you're willing, to pray with me. I'll lead us in prayer. And as we bow our heads and close our eyes and as we pray, I just invite you to agree in your heart with me as I pray this. God, I've been disconnected from the source of life. I've tried to satisfy my thirsty soul in things that really don't truly fill me up. Jesus, I'm here today to say I want to take you up on your offer. I want to drink of the rivers of living water. I want to receive the Holy Spirit. I want to have living water just pouring into me and pouring out of me and pouring through me. Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you lived a perfect life, that you died on a cross for me. And I believe that you rose again on the third day to offer me new life. Life eternal, life abundant, life so good that we run out of words to describe it. Jesus, help me to follow you. Help me to not go back to wells of water that are dirty, that don't ultimately satisfy me. Help me to run to you and to continually drink of you. Pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. If today is the day where you've prayed that and you've believed that for the first time, please don't leave without talking to someone. I would love to hear what it is that God's stirring in your heart. For the rest of us now, we're going to enter into a time of response. We're going to sing. We're going to celebrate communion. First, we're going to uh, give of our tithes and offerings. If you're a guest or a visitor with us today, no obligation or guilt, nothing weird. Uh, People get weird about offerings. We don't do weird. Here's what we do. We do worship. God's given us everything, and so we want to give in response to him. If you want to give online, you want to text to give, there's information up there. But no matter how you give, the most important thing is to give what you've decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. As they're collecting the offering, I'm going to read from uh, 1 Corinthians in chapter 11 to set up our time of communion. I'm actually going to lead us through communion here together as a church. So if you have the elements, you can get those ready as well. If you want to celebrate communion, if if you're someone who says, I want to place my faith in Jesus, I'm going to trust in him and celebrate communion as a Christian. This is for Christians. Even if you're visiting from another church, you're welcome to join us. We have stations set up just outside the doors. You can go grab some of these elements. But I want to read this here together. 1 Corinthians 11. It says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And then guys, there's this opportunity to just pause and reflect says, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 
And so as we pause here and reflect, I would just invite you to say, Jesus, where, where have I sought to satisfy my hunger and my thirst in, in, in places that are not you? What are those wells that I've tried to drink from? God, search our hearts now. Would you search our hearts now and help us to move towards you because of your grace and your love for us? Jesus, we take this bread. We take your body, which was broken for us, given for us. And we say, thank you for your death on the cross. And thank you, Jesus, that you rose again from the dead. And that one day all who trust in you will have a resurrected body like you do. We take this bread now with great joy and great hope. Church, take and eat of the bread. Jesus, we take now of this cup, your blood that was poured out for us. We thank you that we are invited to come and drink and to drink deeply and to drink freely. Christ, on our own, we couldn't come. We had no silver. We had no money. But God, your offer of grace is that we come and we drink freely. And so we thank you that your blood was spilled. We pray that each and every day we would see how you really are the satisfaction for our thirst. We praise you, Jesus. Church, let's take and drink of the cup together. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you that you died in our place for our sins. And may we now let our voices rise to you and let our praises rise to you as we sing these songs in celebration of our resurrected, risen, living Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.